Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 86. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. I have many other podcasts, which you can find at mededmedia.com. Again, that's M-E-D-E-D media.com. This week, we're continuing our Psych Soch series if you're just turning, tuning into us for the first time this week, back in session 84 and 85, we've done psych soch questions. So this week, we're continuing that again, and next week, we'll do our final week four of psych soch. So let's go ahead and jump right in. All right, Brian, back for some more psychology questions. We've done it the last two weeks. This is week three, and we'll do another week next week. They seem to be getting easier and harder depending on on which ones we're doing for me specifically. And so I'm going to pretend I'm the normal pre-med where I've done biology and chemistry and I can kind of reason through some of these anatomy ones. And then when it comes to like true hardcore psych questions, it's like I always trip up on the strict definitions of things. What's what's your your recommendation for somebody, for a student to to help them get through all of these definitions of different different psych um, terms. So there's a couple of different things, right? And and like you said, that you can't. Um, I think we saw this. What was it last week or the week before, Ryan? Where you were trying to reason through just on, based on the kind of like conversational English definition of the words, mm-hmm. uh, and that will get you part of the way there. But they really do want to be technical, right? In the same way that that um, a Bronsted lowery acid and an Arrhenius acid are different things, and they have really strict definitions. You know, in the same way, in the psych, um, uh, those terms are every bit as strict, every bit as kind of tightly defined. Um, so part of it is repetition, right? Don't take it for granted. Students will often think that the psych is easier because it's kind of squishy and there's no math or whatever, but you really do have to give it the respect that it's due and give it the time to memorize all those things. Um, And then second, one of the things we say all the time about memorizing stuff that's difficult or weird or abstract is give it some context. Try and connect it to people you know, your own memories, experiences in your life, build mnemonics that are – kind of mentally sticky. You know, they've got emotional content. They're outrageous. Um, You know, use any number of techniques to to make sure that you're really thoroughly memorizing the content rather than just a kind of passing familiarity. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying it takes a lot of work. 
Yeah, kind of like the profession <laughs> we're heading into, right? <laughs> Darn it. I was looking for the easy answer. All right, so this is episode 86, so you can get the handouts at the mcappodcast.com slash 86. Before we dive into our three questions today, Brian, any specific knowledge information that you want to impart on us for the types of questions we pulled for today? Yeah, so last time we have been doing um, some kind of you know typical psychology. We're going to continue that today, do a couple of psychology questions, and then, and then start to transition into sociology, which is just sort of the psychology of the big, right? Psychology of whole big groups or nations or so on. Uh, and then next week, we'll wrap up our psych social science series with uh, an entire round of sociology questions. Okay, sounds good. So question three, according to the model articulated by Eric Erickson, which example demonstrates an individual in the industry versus inferiority stage of development. A, a 30-year-old male gets married and struggles to align his goals with his partners. B, a 50-year-old female dedicates her life to a nonprofit organization in an effort to feel like a contributing member of society. C, a happy, healthy 8-year-old male leads his soccer team in goals scored and excels in mathematics class. Or D, a 16-year-old female feels awkward in her body and questions her sexual identity. Industry versus inferiority stage of development. So I would obviously have to know Eric Erickson. A couple weeks ago or last week, we had to know Piaget. And now we need Mm -hmm. to know Eric Erickson. So another thing we need to know. And obviously, I don't remember anything from Eric Erickson. So I'll (laughs) let you take over. Okay, so Erickson, psychosocial development, just like Piaget that we were looking at last week with stages of cognitive development, Erickson likes to split the the human life cycle down based on social relationships. And so if we look at these answer choices, a 30-year-old, the social uh, crisis that you're resolving at that point is intimacy versus isolation. Um, the question of course asked us about industry versus inferiority. So that doesn't apply. The next one says a 50 year old female, right? And so that's what, um, Erickson would call adulthood or later adulthood from 40 to 64, roughly. So 50 year olds are resolving the crisis of generativity versus stagnation, right? So, uh, that's the, the, the crisis one resolves at that point in one's life. Uh, answer choice C is an eight-year-old. Okay, so school age, eight years old. Um, that's the industry versus inferiority crisis that one is resolving in one's relationship with one's friends and schoolmates. And so that that's the right answer there. Industry versus inferiority is an as an eight-year-old. Um, the last answer choice is sixteen. Right, so sixteen years old, of course, adolescence. Um, the crisis there, identity versus role confusion, where the the person is resolving that by looking to peers and looking to find role models and figuring out who they are. Okay. So it's just a another good example, a good question showing there there are these lists of things and lists of definitions and stages and, and lots of things that you need to know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why don't they why don't they just give you this like a, a periodic table, right? They give you the periodic table. Why don't they just give you a list of all of these different models too? There you go. P- periodic table of human development. Yes. That'd, that'd be nice. That'd be awesome. All right. All right. Let's take a look at the next one. Question number four. Which of the which of these situations involves a person whose view of morality falls within the conventional stage 
of Kohlberg's stages of moral development. Okay, so now again, we've seen Piaget, we've seen Erickson, now we got Kohlberg. And we need to know what's the conventional stage of moral reasoning. So A, a teenager refuses to join his friends painting graffiti on a uh, public building because he's afraid he'll get caught. B, a college student believes every woman should have the right to an abortion because she thinks that control over one's body is a fundamental human right. C, a young man never speeds when driving his car because he thinks that people should be should abide by the rule of law and that uh, if everyone drove too fast, the roads would not be safe. And then finally, D, a man participates in a gay pride parade even though he does not identify as gay because he believes that everyone has the right to express and be themselves. Hmm. So conventional moral development. Yeah, it's all you. Yeah, so Kohlberg's whole idea was that you can pose people moral questions, mor- moral um, quandaries, and and there was a kind of classic one that he used about somebody who needed to save his wife's life but didn't have money to buy the medicine. So is it okay for him to steal the medicine or does he have to let his wife die? And what Kohlberg did was he actually didn't care what the answer was, right? He he didn't care if you said, um, no, it's never okay to steal. Or if you said, yes, of course you have to steal to save the wife's life. What Kohlberg was interested in was why and how you reasoned your way to that answer. So, for example, if we look at these answer choices, A, a teenager refuses to join his friends uh, painting graffiti. So that's the choice. But more importantly, why? Because he's afraid of getting caught. So his moral reasoning isn't about you know right and wrong. It's just about fear of getting caught. And Kohlberg called that pre-conventional. So the, the, the kind of most basic level of moral reasoning was, what can I do to avoid getting caught? Or what can I do to get a reward? And, and, and Kohlberg considered that the most basic childlike moral reasoning was that you make your moral decisions based on what will either avoid punishment or get you reward. So that's pre-conventional. On the other end of the scale, if we look at answer choice B, a college student believes every woman should have a right because she thinks that uh, control over your body is a fundamental human right. So that's universal, right? Reasoning at the level of universal rights that X, Y, and Z is moral or is not moral because of an overall universal abstract human right. And we see the same thing in answer choice D, a man participates in a pride parade, even though he doesn't identify as gay because he believes that everyone has the right to blah, blah, blah. And so that's what Kohlberg would have called post-conventional reasoning. And that's the highest or most advanced stage of moral reasoning. Um, where you don't care about social convention anymore. You're not just looking at your peers. You're not worried about being punished or rewarded. You're thinking on an abstract level of universal ideal human behavior. So answer choice A was pre-conventional, right? Just concerned with reward and punishment. Answer choices B and D were post-conventional, right? You're not looking to your neighbor for, for what's right. You just believe in universal abstract rights, Conventional, the correct answer to this question is answer choice C, where it's just about kind of getting along with your peers or society. So a young man never speeds while driving because he thinks you should obey the rule of law. So that person is not concerned about abstract universal rights, is not even saying that you should um, do this because you might get punished, right? That's more like a child, avoid punishment. No, this person thinks 
it's the right thing to do to obey the law. And so he, his moral reasoning is just based on the conventions of the society he lives in. In my society, the law says X, and so that's what's morally correct to do, even if the law says that you know, certain minorities have to sit at the back of the bus. Well, that's the law, and what the law, what's morally correct is obeying the law. That's classic conventional moral reasoning. Okay, very interesting. I liked where mm-hmm. you were going to begin with with not necessarily what the answer is, but why and how you got there. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I help students with their interview prep, that's what I talk about a lot, is, is you, you can't be afraid of having a different point of view than the person interviewing you. They're more interested in, in your thought process for why you're saying what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you would hope, right? Yeah, that that they have the ability to kind of abstract their own opinion and just listen to the reasoning of the person there, of their interlocutor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, all right, yeah. You want to read us this last one here? Question number one. Yeah. So, question one again. Hand out the mcatpodcast.com slash eighty six. Question one says, which of these descriptions accurately characterize stage one of the demographic transition model? Roman numeral one, the fertility rate is higher than would be expected for the same population in stage three. Roman numeral two, the overall population is shrinking due to the high mortality rate. Roman numeral three, education for children is typically mandatory. And Roman numeral four, the population size tends to fluctuate moderately due to disease and catastrophe. So demographic transition model. So now we need to know big scale models, not just individual uh, psychology models. Um, Mm -hmm. So demographic transition and stage one. So stage one tells me things are, um, if, if I were to take a guess here and use my, my brain to reason through things, stage one tells me we're early on. And so, um, I would have to think that three wouldn't be included, uh, for education for children is typically mandatory that I would assume that comes later on, um, with, Mm -hmm. with transition, uh, population size tends to fluctuate moderately due to disease and catastrophe. I would assume that would be part of stage one if we're, I, I'm picturing stage one as kind of like a a third world country, and further mm-hmm. on is is us. So, mm-hmm. um, I would I would think four would be one of them. Roman numeral four fertility rate is higher than would be expected for the same population. Um, that would be true as well. So one and four are true. So we look mm-hmm. at the answers. Um, a is one only. B is one and four only. C is one, two, and four only. And D is uh, all of them. So I'm going to say it's not D because I scratched out three already. Um, mm-hmm. Overall population is shrinking due to high mortality rate. Um, I would um, say that that's not true because fertility rate is going to be higher. So I would mm-hmm. go B, one in four only. And that was perfect reasoning. Absolutely right. So the, the demographic transition model is is how you transition from, like you said, a kind of third world rural country into 
uh, the, the kind of, you know, fully developed industrialized nation. So in stage one, fertility rates are very high. So are mortality rates. So you make a lot of babies, but a lot of people die. Um, that does tend to mean the population fluctuates, right? So if illness comes through, sweeps through the nation, a whole bunch of people die, but everyone's having lots of babies. So the population tends to bounce back. Um, stage two. So the first thing that happens is the mortality rate goes down, right? Because medicine gets better. You start taking care of babies better. Um, so mortality rate drops. And then stage three, then the uh, fertility rate starts to drop as well. And that stage three is where you start getting things like educating children. And um, we know that very clearly there's a link between uh, the more educated the women are in a country, the lower the uh, fertility rate is. Uh, and then finally in stage four is the final stage where both fertility and mortality are really low. Right. So if a baby gets born, there's a pretty good chance that baby's going to make it all the way to a, a old age. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in this case, absolutely right. Stage one is characterized by, uh, Roman numeral one fertility rate is high and Roman numeral four. There's some, there tends to be more fluctuation in the population size. And so the number two would be the one possibly that would throw some people off with the high mortality rate, which is true, but the overall population isn't shrinking because of it. Right, because exactly what your reasoning said, right? When you were talking it through, you said, oh, well, but the fertility rate is really high. So that offsets it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. That was a good one. Excellent. Yep. All right. There you have it. Some more psych soch for you. One of the harder content pieces for students who haven't taken psych soch. So one of the harder parts of the MCAT if you haven't taken psych soch. Hopefully this was helpful for you. A lot of memorization for the MCATs for PsychSoc. So make sure you're going out there, you're looking at the content, you're creating flashcards, you're doing whatever you need to do based on your study habits to succeed on the MCAT for PsychSoc. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time for week four, our final installment of our PsychSoc series.